Welcome to Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, where we discuss everything from hauntings and murders to the evil underbelly of Tinseltown. Our hosts today, it's ridiculous that I have to pull that out every time to say that. Well, you don't have that memorized yet. <laughs> right? It's not even a sentence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, our hosts today are Tia B. Did you forget who I am? I, I, I frequently do. Maybe open, if you listen to the podcast, you'll understand. Open your laptop. Open Hold your on, laptop. It is, uh, <laughs> Check notes. and Roxana Sanchez Ooh. is our guest host today. I'm also here. In case you didn't notice, in, in spirit, uh, <laughs> in spirit, like I was. I'm, just, I'm hovering above the, them right now. Um, they don't know that. Um, but no, yeah, they're doing. Can we do another, now another series. Yeah, right. I gave it away. Uh, we're doing another series of hometown haunts or hometown horror stories. We'll figure out what we call it the murders. first time. Uh, but this is the second version of that. Uh, yeah. You guys heard our Teresa, or one of our other tour guides. Um, I guess I should introduce Roxana is uh, one of our uh, tour guides with Hollywood's Haunted Tours. Uh, she's an actor. I waved because this uh, yeah, is great yeah. she radio. Just, she just waved. Uh, <laughs> Stevie Wonder might be listening. Uh, oh, I gotta edit that out. Uh, um. <laughs> she actress as um, well. That's what I said. And, oh, okay. Jeez, yeah, no, yeah, she's an actress. Uh, anything you want to say to our fellow listeners? I'm also a huge fan of true crime and weird creepy stuff, so I guess yeah. I'm in the right place. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. This is also our first episode where we have an audience. Uh, a live they're, audience, they're, they're not including cats. six foot yeah. distance, don't worry. Um, Sean, I believe, is in the corner. I yes. don't see him. Where he belongs. Where he belongs. <laughs> <laughs> and Michelle is in the other corner. Uh, Sean and Michelle are my roommates. I take them everywhere. They're my entourage. So, that's, you know, because I'm, I'm. It was famous. in her writer. It was. It was in my writer. <laughs> I needed my entourage. Sean so. laid down a red carpet. It was, nice. <laughs> it was good. It was, it was good. Nice. Good times. Uh, Michelle, she makes sure there's rose petals around me at all times and then spritz me with them. Um, Evian water, so it's true. Yeah. She's making a face behind your back. <laughs> I just see her little does. head poking out. Like, if you call yeah, a middle finger normal. a face, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, that's fine. Yeah, as long as she I'm gets gonna, the roses right. I'm gonna kick back on this episode because it's just you two ladies. It's the ladies' um, show. Okay. It's okay. Ladies night. Are we really rock paper and scissors? We're gonna rock over. paper scissors to see who goes first. Okay. Uh, can you explain this game to me? Because I've never done it before. So you make a fist. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I was totally whoa, 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 whoa! What do I do, Roxanne? Right, yeah. I I'm just saying yes I'm, and. You were found I'm an under actress. Eight. I'm yes Rock. and. Let's do this. I will teach you. That's fine. Okay. All right. Here we go. Fuck scissors. Oh, Both of us. We can scissors. We should maybe shout out what we said. That's true. Okay. Go. Okay. Scissors. Paper. Ah, she wins. Okay. I win. Okay. You're going first. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, also, just my story is not a haunting. It's uh, about a murderer in my hometown. So trigger warning, there is going to be some talk of uh, domestic abuse and rape and uh, child abuse. Because usually when you get serial killers or serial rapists, that's their background. Okay. Uh, So I grew up in the Central Coast. So that includes San Luis Obispo, which we would call slow. Uh, There's also small beach towns. Uh, One that's going to be mentioned in the story is Pismo Beach. Um, There's also Avila. Uh, is also mentioned as well. Um, so this really kind of happened like when I was like in third or fourth grade. So it wasn't really, you mm-hmm. know, 
attuned to, you know, the news and everything, but it became kind of a, a horror story later on. <laughs> so um, we're talking about Rex Krebs. Now, Rex Krebs uh, technically can't be considered a serial killer, um, but I believe that only happened because he was caught before he was able to officially become a serial killer. So yay for our justice his, system. His sometimes. last name is Krebs? Krebs. K-R-E-B-S. Like, like the Krebs cycle. He's like one of those like, oh. amazing football <laughs> players that like gets into the game and then he quits the football season and everyone's like, but you would have been so good. Yeah, right. Yeah, he he didn't quit. He just got well, caught. Then, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, it's good police yeah. work. Exactly. So maybe it'd be the same as someone getting busted for marijuana or something. Exactly. Now, now, well, yes, now we're divulging. So Rex Krebs, um, I believe born in 1966, and his he was born into a violent home. Uh, his father would repeatedly uh, beat his mother, and so that was kind of his early childhood. His mom finally left his dad, but what happened was she married a completely worse person. Mm -hmm. So Rex's stepfather not only would uh, rape his mother but he would do it within earshot of the children so it was rex and his sisters so they would hear this happening uh the stepfather would also rape the sisters as well and then rex when he was younger um he wasn't sexually assaulted but his stepfather wanted to humiliate him so he would either make him wear soiled underpants on top of his head uh, and then later on would make him wear his sister's soiled diapers on top of his head. Mm -hmm. So this was his childhood. Obviously Jeez. very angry, not very um, respectful of women because he's seeing them being tortured and raped in front of his own eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, so at the age of 13, he actually broke into one of his classmates' trailer homes. He was wearing a ski mask and he had a knife and he was hiding in the closet. And so when his classmate came back to the trailer with her mom, they actually caught him in the closet masturbating. Oh my God. I know, first red flag, right? Okay, a year later, uh, Rex starts to do these um, prank sexual calls to seemingly random women, except for he actually ended up prank calling one of his aunts who later told his father, and then his father came back and his real father viciously, viciously beat him for that, okay? So he, we're getting into a cycle of violence and sexual assault. So this is what he's being raised up in. So at the age of 15, his dad's like, I need to do something about this kid. Uh, so his dad actually gets him uh, committed into a state psychiatric, psychiatric hospital. And for about uh, one month, he goes into like in... <laughs> we're gonna, gonna edit. Anything, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, you might as well just stop. You were just gonna. Okay. I'm glad okay. I got that on video. Okay. Too. So, so um, <laughs> his father uh, puts him in a state psychiatric hospital, nice. uh, and for about one month, he goes through intensive treatments. Uh, then he's kind of uh, transferred to various locations, uh, but finally he uh, ends up at this one place. At first, he's not doing well. And then all of a sudden, he starts to do very well. Uh, he seems to be improving. Um, he seems almost as if he has been rehabilitated. And at this point, he's up in the Northern Idaho Children's Home where he was getting uh, that rehabilitation. 
1983, and let's see, he was committed in 1981. So this is only a couple of years. So by 1983, the staff at the Northern Idaho Children's Home believe that he is completely rehabilitated and they say that we're going to go ahead and release him out into the public. Well, uh, let's see, a four years later <laughs> is oh, when um, okay. uh, Rex actually commits his first rape. So on May 24th of 1987, uh, Shelly Crosby, she had uh, left a restaurant um, and then Krebs had been outside the restaurant. You know, he tried to interact with her mm -hmm. and she ignored him kind of like I would do. You know, you see a creepy guy who's trying to get your attention and anything. You're, you're at a like, restaurant. You're just going to go back to your freaking car. You're not yeah. going to flip him off. You're not going to anger him. All you think to do is to ignore him. And that's it. Yeah. This pisses him off. Oh, he does not like this. So he actually ends up following her back to her home. He waits until she has fallen asleep and then he breaks into her home. He ties her up and rapes her at knife point. But her roommate actually comes home. So he hears the muffled sound of the roommate's car driving up and he, he wants to get out of there. <laughs> um, but before he flees, he tells her, have a nice day. So this guy is a sadist. He's messed up in the head, okay? But he doesn't get caught for this. What year is this? 1987. Okay, wait. Have a nice day. That was the 60s, right? But still, yeah. I'm just curious. I was just curious. People still say that. No, but I'm just curious if it was like a, I don't know, pop culture thing. So that happened on May 24th. He's just like, what's up? What's <laughs> that was before. That would have been in the 90s. Yeah, like no, I know. 90s. I dated yeah. myself. It would have just been like, I don't know, do the hustle or something. Where's the beef? Where, yeah. <laughs> Again, just inappropriate things to say to a victim. So that happened on May 24th. On June 15th, oh, and I'm so sorry if I butcher this name. Uh, June 15th, 1987. Anishka Constantine was asleep in her home in Pismo Beach and her seven-year-old daughter was in her bed. And I, I do this with Alice too when she was younger. You know, the kid has a nightmare. She crawls in the bed. You share the mm -hmm. bed with each other. That's fine. Um, Kreb breaks in to her house and he's actually uh, has a screwdriver at this point. And she pretty much wakes up and he has a screwdriver pointed at Anishka's eyes mm -hmm. and tells her... Um, but he also has a knife like that's on his on his belt as well. But he's using mm -hmm. the screwdriver uh, to threaten her. And Anishka is, you know, very scared and everything. She tells her daughter, hide under the bed, try to call 911. But the phone was dead, so the daughter wasn't able to get a hold of 911. Anishka's like, uh, you know, I'll give you anything, money, jewelry, whatever you want. Just please take it. And he tells her, I want you. Now, Anishka is like really freaking clever. She's like able to think on her feet and she mm -hmm. is a fighter. So she's in the room. He unzips his pants and she, she sees the knife at that time. And she says, you know, why don't we go into a different room? Maybe thinking about her daughter and using that. Mm -hmm. And he agrees. So as they're going down the hallway, she's able to knock the knife off of his belt. It falls to the floor and then they kind of have like a... Uh, a struggle to get the knife. She's able to get a hold of it. She tries to stab him, but he she misses. Uh, then he gets upset at her. He slams her head a couple of times into the wall, but even that doesn't 
take her down. She, even with those injuries, she runs out of the house and she is screaming at the top of her lungs for somebody to help her, to call the police, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And they get him. So he's caught um, her, her and her seven-year-old daughter, they go, they positively identify him. And mm-hmm. so Rex Krebs is then later convicted of the rape of the earlier victim, uh, which was Shelley Crosby, and the attempted rape of Anishka Constantine. Now, he's supposed to be in prison for 20 years, but is released after 10 years Uh, for good behavior and because the prisons were overcrowded so they're starting this whole parole thing i think they should have started with minor drug offenders or people that are in jail for petty crimes you know not violent rape and assault with a deadly weapon (laughs) but that's my opinion so and and several others exactly so (laughs) they release this violent rapist back out Mm -hmm. into the world uh and you so know this he's is like late 90s now then? so now we're in 1998 yeah. okay i feel like culture like especially pop culture was like very like didn't really take rape seriously especially in the 90s like it was definitely a joke of a lot of movies yeah. so like i don't know we're seeing it through like 2020 goggles you know which where we know that have it's... a lot of shit on them you know exactly. but... well, in, in the 90s were so uh, image heavy that people were so blind to what was really going on because they were just promote everything was a promotion you know so everything yeah. everything was displayed that it was good everything was displayed as we're doing great every you know buy this shit and you'll be amazing you know and it's like commercial and then the, the only thing that rape was ever really used for was for fucking film it, yeah know, storytelling to, like, to yeah, make the woman stronger yeah let's yeah let's yeah. make let's make or, oh, or to make yeah. the movie just a tad bit more horrible. or a punchline you know or a fucking punchline. Yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah i don't like, even want to list the films <laughs> i do want to list the films but that's, I'm that's not a, going to list the a, films because we'll be here all night. Right exactly. So it wasn't really seen as the violent crime that we know that it is. So now we know divest, domestic violence does lead to murder. We know yeah. that uh, the serial rapist will eventually graduate into becoming a serial killer, kind of like how Rex did. And again, it might not even happen on purpose. It might happen on accident. And actually, that's exactly what happened with Rex. So May 24th, uh, no, I'm sorry, that that's wrong note. So let's see. So he's in prison for 10 years. So let's say he goes to prison in 87. He gets out in 97. So not even maybe a year, a year and a half later, he runs into Rachel Newhouse. So this is November 12th, 1998. Rachel Newhouse is a student over at Cal Poly, which is like the big uh, college over in San Luis Obispo. San Luis Obispo, what we call slow, big college town. Uh, It's usually, you know, pretty safe. Not a lot of people at the time, you know, were locking their front doors. Uh, Because it was a college town, a lot of people, you know, they go out, they drink, and they feel pretty safe to walk home. I've done bar crawls myself in San Luis Obispo, you know, Mm -hmm. years ago, because they're, they're just close together. It's easy to walk from one location to another. So Rachel Newhouse was out with her friends um, at Tortilla Flats. If you're from San Luis Obispo, you know where that is. (laughs) And she actually gets in a fight with her friend and decides that she's just gonna go ahead and walk home. 
and again this is not really a big deal it's pretty much a safe town uh so she's walking home and she gets to this area where she can either choose to just keep going down the street or cross over the bridge and it's called the jennifer street bridge and she decides she's gonna go ahead and cross over the bridge mm-hmm. well rex kreb at the time had been in that area he was drunk uh, and he sees uh, her walking across the bridge and decides that he's going to have an interaction. And we know it's a uh, nefarious <laughs> interaction because he decides he's going to bring out his skeleton mask. So he puts on a skeleton mask and then goes and confronts her on the bridge. There's a struggle. Oh, he, God. Yeah, yeah, he physically <laughs> assaults her and then he takes her away. And he takes her to this remote location. It's actually an abandoned A-framed cabin. And he ties her up. And I'm not going to go into detail because we can guess what happens. It's not okay. Um, because of the violent nature of what he was doing, he, when he left her tied up, she was alive. But when he came back, she had passed on. Okay? Because mm-hmm. probably due to her injuries. So that killing was technically an accident. Although, come on, you've tied somebody off. You've physically assaulted them. How can you expect... I don't think he ever expected her to live. So I think that's bull caca. Okay, so... um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We'll we'll put what caca means in the comments. It's feces. Okay, it is bovine feces. Let's get scientific here. then he ends up burying her body in a grassy knoll, like out in, it's, so it, with the Central Coast, especially like in the Avila area, there's a lot of these kind of secluded places, especially go on the side roads. There's a lot of oak trees. There's a lot of forest. It's, you know, it's, you can go out there and do whatever you want. And nobody's going to know. I can see that. Like when we drive up to Monterey and stuff sometimes, I'm like, oh yeah, you could totally store a body exactly. down there. And- but- I mean, that's what I think of when I drive six hours. <laughs> you should and not I'll be like, in a car just, with him, Tia. If I just turn right, right here. I'm just looking no at the cows. Yeah, that's it. The, the bovines, yeah. Um, but there's actually been some spooky instances, like some ghost stories in those hills as well. But that's that's for a different podcast. Um, so anyways, this was like an abandoned cabin. He buries her in a grassy knoll. Now... Rachel's friends and family knew something was wrong because Rachel was very responsible and very good about checking in. Mm -hmm. So when she hasn't checked in the next morning, immediately her family gets a report to the police. Now, I think that happened in the afternoon because the police earlier that morning had gotten a report about blood splatters over on the Jennifer Street Bridge where we later know she was attacked. Um, And they kind of decide to... They made a connection between the two. They tested the blood, and sure enough, it was positive, uh, a positive match for Rachel. So people driving by were No, like... I think something walking. Oh, okay. Somebody yeah, walking like, saw like, this yeah, fresh blood. A lot of blood. Then. And this is San Luis Obispo. Here in L.A., we see a bunch of blood. We'd be like, that's true. eh. That's Yeah, we're like, fu- or yeah. like, well, that's a mural for something. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's an art program or an art What piece. about the fucking blood stain in our fucking... Oh, God. Sorry. Oh, the blood stain uh, when you come in from our parking garage on the side of the wall. There you go. <laughs> you just I'll point out right to you. I was about to be like, what blood stain? It's, it's been there for months. It's been yeah, there for months. Probably, yeah. Yeah. 
So in San Luis Obispo, though, if somebody <laughs> sees bloodstains, it's something they call the police. Yeah. It's a big deal. Um, so the blood did match Rachel's, but for the longest time, that is the only thing they had. There was no witnesses, no body had shown up, mm-hmm. nothing. And they actually uh, do call in the FBI to help assist them because this wasn't she wasn't the first co-ed to go missing. Earlier, Kristen Stewart had also gone missing. missing. She was another co-ed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really no connection that we know right now with Rex Kreb that he had done it. There's mm-hmm. actually been multiple suspects for Kristen Stewart's uh, disappearance. That's why I really don't want to go into it. Yeah. Um, at this point. But anyway, so that's, they called in the FBI because it, it's kind of a big deal. This doesn't happen here mm-hmm. in San Luis Obispo. Now, um, nothing is happening. They can't find anybody. They don't have any suspects. So now it's March 11th of 1999. So it's, you know, about four months later. Mm-hmm. And 20 year old Andrea Crawford, who went to Cuesta College, which is more of the community college over in that area, uh, so another co-ed, she was at her home and Rex Kreb had, I guess, been stalking her. He, she had come into his place of work. That's where he, I think, first saw her. Um, he worked, I, I couldn't quite find exactly what it was that he was doing, but because of where he worked, he was able to get the addresses of these women that they had to provide it for something. Mm-hmm. Um, so he knew where she lived. Uh, apparently he kind of had had an eye on her and went to her house and kind of again waited for her to fall asleep like he had done with his one of his previous victims and Andrea had a cat named Ripley and I just say you know Ripley in that way because I have friends who also have a cat named Ripley so I thought oh that's an interesting coincidence so I for some reason Andrea had put Ripley in the bathroom and had opened the window for the cat so it could get you know fresh air and everything Mm. and so she goes to sleep and she wakes up because she hears that Ripley has made like this huge loud noise so she goes into the bathroom and I guess what had happened was Rex Kreb he had tried other points of entry, wasn't able to get into the house, and he was able to squeeze in through the small bathroom window, mm-hmm. and which he had, at one of his previous victims as well, he had squeezed in through the window. Because he's actually, well, now he's a bigger guy. He's gained weight. But at that time, he was, you know, small stature and would have been able to slip through these small holes. And this is going to come back in a bit, kind of what seals his fate. Mm-hmm. So he squeezes in through the bathroom, scares the cat. Andrea wakes up, goes into the bathroom, and he attacks her. Uh, He ties her up, and then he takes two pillowcases, and he's filling it with CDs and VHSs, because, you know, it's still, you know, she doesn't have CDs yet. You know, she's a college student, Mm -hmm. and takes her VCR and pretty much grabs all these things, grabs her, uh, puts them in the vehicle, and then drives off to another remote location, uh, is doing his thing and she actually is able to escape so she escapes she's or she's trying to um, but and she ends up seeing his face and he tells her well now that you've seen my face I'm gonna have to kill you he buries her about 20 feet from his back bedroom window on his property <laughs> and he keeps all of her stuff including she had on her keychain uh, an eight ball 
and kind of like in a little eight ball keychain. So he mm-hmm. takes that as well. So that's missing. So, and again, with Andrea, it's her friends and family are worried about her because, again, she's another responsible person mm-hmm. that shows up on time, that checks in with her family. So when this doesn't happen, they go, they see that her apartment has obviously been broken into. Uh, there's been a struggle. And um, I think that's when the investigation really ramps up. Okay. So uh, now Krebs has a parole officer. His name is uh, Saragossa. And thank God for this man. He has over 100 parolees in his file. Um, and the thing about uh, Rex Kreb is that with men, they loved him. They thought he was super great. He was super nice. He was super charming. Everybody fucking loved him that, you know, had a fucking penis. Okay, I'm sorry. Everybody loved him that had a penis. <laughs> and, but Saragossa, when he heard about these two women within the last four months that have gone missing and he heard about that the attacker of Andrea had actually gone through the small bathroom window, it triggers something in his mind. He's like, this sounds like one of my parolees, Rex Kreb. Like he, he attacked younger women. He broke into their house at night. He's like, this is a pattern. So he follows his gut instincts and he drives all the way out to where, uh, where Rex is living. And it's in Avila, uh, and it's apparently his place was off the grid, so he wasn't even using electricity. This is how secluded mm-hmm. it was. So he's completely off the grid. Zaragoza just goes, you know, just make a checkup like he does, and he sees that Rex Kreb is wearing a weightlifter's belt, and as if he and he's acting as if he's been injured, and he's like, hey, so what's going on? And Rex is like, oh yeah, I injured myself from falling into a pile of wood. And that something just was off with Saragossa. He just didn't believe it. Even though this guy had a wonderful reputation, mm-hmm. you know, being, oh, a nice guy, he's so great, got out of parole because of good behavior, blah, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. Thank God Saragossa follows his gut instincts. So he goes to the San Luis Obispo uh, police department. Now, this is on March 17th of 1999. So this is all, not even, what, you know, six days after the attack of Andrea mm-hmm. Crawford. So uh, <laughs> Saragossa went out, goes to the San Luis police, uh, gives his suspicions, saying, hey, uh, you should really look into uh, one of my parolees. His name is Rex Kreb. Uh, this is where he lives. Now, Karen Sandusky, who is the head of the Justice Department of the Sexual Predator Unit, really took what he had to say to heart and believed what uh, Saragossa was saying about, you know, his parolee. So she's like, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give him a call at his work. And he said something that was weird. He said to her, I'm surprised you didn't call me after the first girl went missing. Mm -hmm. Now, there was no reason to because, Mm -hmm. you know, his parole, there wasn't anything to connect it. Uh, Way to tell on yourself. Yeah, so that (laughs) was, like, really weird for Karen. So she's like, okay, you know what? We're going to head out to this place. So she goes with a parole officer and an FBI agent. They go to the house, but, of course, they can't really do, like, an extensive search. It's more of a, let's see if we can find anything that Mm -hmm. might show about the in, the disappearance of some, Andrea. Some type of mistake. Yeah, something. Usually. Something. And they're not they're not really able to find anything. The only thing they find are little BB pellets. Mm-hmm. 
and they ask, okay, what are these BB pellets for? And he says, oh, I have a BB gun, but under his parole, you're not allowed to own any firearms whatsoever. So they're like, oh, yeah. yes, this is our in. So they stake him out at his workplace. They see the BB gun, and that's when they can get a search warrant for his home. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're now it's more extensive. They can really go in there. They can really start digging around. Sure enough, they find the CDs and the VHSs that had been taken from Andrea's home. And then um, uh, Sandusky, she finds this box and she opens it up. And inside is the eight ball keychain. Mm-hmm. And then this is what's really creepy. His prison Bible. Okay, Mm. so she starts flipping through his prison Bible and she gets almost to the end and there is a sticky note at the back of the prison Bible that has her name on it. Her name, Karen Sandusky, is in a prison Bible that he has in his home. So what had happened is while he was in prison, he had seen some sort of TV program that she had been on. Like, I think it was like a, some sort of true crime program, blah, mm-hmm. you know, that she had investigated. And he saw her and wrote her name down because that's what he would do at work. He, the women that would come in, it, he would write their names down and then some sort of comment like nice eyes. And that's how they think that he was picking out his victim. So this was a habit crazy. that he was used. And how creepy would that be? That's crazy. That you find Finding your name. Your oh name my god. And being like shit, I guess I'm glad I found it right now. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so oh, they find crazy. these things. Uh, now the weird thing is that it takes them a while to actually bring Krebs in for questioning because it's not until April twenty second that they bring him in and he actually waives his right to have an attorney present. And as they're questioning him, he pretty much admits to the fact that he raped the women. They ask, are we going to find these women alive? And he's like, no. Um, and he, he, so he confesses to the murders. Oh, and this is another creepy part. He had a girlfriend. He had a girlfriend. They always at do. The, what the Charles heck? Charles Manson has a girlfriend. Right? And she's like oh. half his age. Mm. Ted Bundy had many girlfriends. Oh my god! And so then, what's really what's really disturbing is, I watched the video that she they bring her into the uh, questioning. Oh, what is it? interrogation room? So she's in mm-hmm. there, and she's pretty much screaming at him and crying like, "Why? Why did you do this? Why?" Like breaking down. He's like. You know, like all sad and mopey and trying to comfort her. It's like your boyfriend raped and brutally murdered two women. You're not asking them why. You get the f out of there, and you have nothing to do with him. So uh, he admits to the murders. He goes out. He shows them where the the bodies had been buried, and that's what I remember from the news is hearing about the bodies of these two coeds. Uh, being one being in his quote unquote backyard, and of course the other one being buried, you know, mm. out in Avila in the, the hills. Uh, I remember that. Uh, so he goes to trial, and his defense uh, team tries to bring up his, you know, the sordid past, you know, the abuse, the fact that he is an alcoholic and he's he has this rage for women, trying to say that this is his excuse for having done these horribly violent crimes that there were red flags all the way back from when he was 13, that this 
person was probably going to be hurting women. But mm. <laughs> no, we did nothing until people died. Uh, the jury doesn't buy it. They do uh, uh, deliberate for four days, but there's like 11 counts that they have for him. And I'm sure mm. they have to really make sure that he is the one that murdered him, that it is probably, you know, first degree murder, that kind of thing. But they come back and they find him guilty on all 11 counts. So now his defense team is trying to plead to not get the death penalty. But the jury, again, is not buying it. They're, mm-hmm. they're not buying any of this woe is me story. And thank goodness, mm-hmm. because why? This person has obviously shown that they are a menace to society. Uh, they've tried to rehabilitate him since he was a child. Uh, he is great at pretending to be rehabilitated, but once he's out, within a few years, he's going to hurt more people. This is how I believe that if his parole officer wasn't on top of his stuff, if Sandusky wasn't on top of her stuff, um, if there had been poor police work done, he would have killed a third person and become an official serial killer um, at this time. So on May 11th, 2001 is when he is given um, the sentence that he will be put to death. And now he is currently on death row and San Quentin State Prison, but there hasn't been a date for execution set at Mm. this point. That always trips me out that like the death row uh, waiting time. Right? Just get it. Especially with a case like this where there's overwhelming evidence that we know he's going to be a menace to society, that he's really good at tricking especially those around him as male figures that he's rehabilitated that he's good that this is something you kind of want to get in and out quickly like how many innocent people of color have been put to death over false allegations right so anyways this jerk is still alive he is on death row and he is awaiting um execution but i really think it was that, that good police work on the part of his parole officer, mm-hmm. on uh, Sandusky, for following their instincts, for doing everything they possibly could uh, to make sure that this man doesn't hurt another woman. And, mm. and shame, shame on the people that let him go because they're the reasons why those women were put in such a dangerous situation. They should, never should have been put in that situation. Yeah. So. That's my hometown murder story. Yay! <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. It's a great story, Roxana. Thank you. Oh, yeah, that's right. We that should was be a good reacting. story. Whoa! Uh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So, uh, it was my idea to come up with hometown hauntings, even though you did a murder. That's fine. I'm sure the places are haunted, but I won't you know, hold he was it. a real life monster. Yeah, yeah, I won't hold it against you. Uh, <laughs> uh, I. So as soon as I said that, I was like, what is haunted in Monterey? I was like, I know there's a Monterey ghost tour. I know there's like a whole bunch of stuff. So I call my mom and I'm like, hey, so I'm going to do this like podcast on hometown hauntings. And she's like, oh yeah, you know all the stories in Monterey. There's so many. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. All those stories. So like I was obsessed with ghost stories growing up. But I couldn't t- tell you a single ghost story from Monterey. Not a single one. I had no clue. So I started researching them. I originally, I wanted to do the Golden Bow Theater. Um, oh, yes. So, which is, has a curse on it. But 
Nothing. I almost performed there, but I didn't. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. okay. No, I was cast in a show that was going to be there, but then I got a better job at a much more professional theater. And oh. I was like, bye, because <laughs> that's what you do. We shouldn't <laughs> include this, because I was doing it to promote the Golden Bell. Oh, but. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but. Never mind. Uh, I, I do want to do that story at it's some point. It's a beautiful point. theater, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful theater, and like. Describe it. What happened there was pretty interesting there was like a play they put on two times and both times the theater uh like burnt down i can't remember what the play was called it's like dinner by candlelight and i was like that's probably <laughs> that's how why it, well, it burnt they down have the uh, bonfires yeah yeah so they, they have... had the bonfires oh no no you're door. thinking of the forest theater i'm thinking of the forest theater never mind i auditioned in the golden bow theater never mind we will edit but this out the yes theater. but forest uh, theater okay yeah but uh I do at one point want to visit there and possibly interview people. Um, it was very interesting. Most of the stuff I saw was uh, my brother-in-law's boss being interviewed. Uh, he is the master carpenter for Pacific Repertory Theater. Packer, yeah. um, shout, shout out to Patrick. Patrick. M-C-E-B-O-Y. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And my sister also works for Packer up occasionally as well. But anyways, that has nothing to do with what <laughs> I'm talking about. So my story, so after some research, I was looking for something that had like a creepy person and like some sort of like, uh, I don't know, you'll see. But this definitely has ghosts in it. So this is about Stokes Adobe. I think I attended a, <laughs> uh, a uh, wedding there. Very possibly. Yes. yes. Okay. So, Stokes Adobe, uh, nowadays, currently, it is a big building, and uh, the it is vacant. It's been vacant since 2017. Previously, it was a restaurant for many, many years. Uh, currently, it is listed at $2.975 million. That's nothing in Monterey. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty reasonable, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it has many, many rooms, uh, d a distinct dining space, a big bar in the main room. Uh, let me see. It is 7,225 square feet, multi-use zone building, sits on a half acre. Uh, because of its many years as a restaurant, it has a commercial kitchen, full bar, a wine cellar, and, a mul and multiple dining room areas. Upstairs, there is a, pot a potential for a private residence if the buyer so chooses to live there. So if you guys have two, close to $3 million, then maybe, you know, pocket change. Oh, yeah, you know? let me check my other pants. I'm sure yeah. I got it. Uh, the, li the lister uh, agent, the agent listing this lister, uh, Cecil Cecily. The lister is the agent. That's yeah. Cicely Sterling. Not yeah, uh, Cicely Sterling. Uh, this is what she has to say about the building. You walk in, and it's unlike any other building. It's rich in heritage, and there's nothing you can compare to it. You get the feeling once you walk in. I don't know quite how to explain it. No, well, that was a, not a good quote. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you read that? What the fuck? No, I have no words, words to explain this so end quote. Uh, but cool. <laughs> no, please leave I'm that speechless. in. I'm speechless. Uh, cool fact about it. Uh, so there is also an outdoor space, outdoor 
space uh, that overlooks a giant oak tree. Legend claims that it was planted by Father uh, Junipero Serra. Trees. Yay, trees. Okay, anyways, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's a very, very interesting spot. So now it's like a big event space, you know, but originally it was a one room, one floor adobe building. Uh, it was built in 1833. Uh, the original structure was built by Ambrose Tomlinson. You know, good old That's Ambrose. That's a name. Ambrose. <laughs> Ambrose. Uh, I... <laughs> went to extensive lengths to try to find anything on him and I couldn't find anything. Um, Nobody so, on Ambrose? How dare Ambrose they? Tom, yeah. Okay. Uh, he employed the famous Hodge and Benjamin Day. You know, Hodge and Benjamin Day got a little Adobe sculpture, sculptors of their time. Uh, it was built to showcase Ambrose's wealth. So, uh, the building was a uh, Are you telling me somebody with the name of Ambrose was wealthy? Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> what? Uh, with a name like Ambrose? It's so everyman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the workmanship was beautiful inside and out uh, with a red tile roof, which was handmade by the workers pressing proper lengths of thick adobe around their thighs. So that's how they made the, the oh. you know, the typical adobe roof. It has yeah, those the round red, red curl, tiles. Curl, they were yeah. pressing the mud on their thigh, upper thighs to... Now, did Ambrose, mm, yeah. <laughs> was he involved in the making or did he just oversee everything? Uh, I think he just Oversaw. paid for it. Exactly. So, uh, um, unfortunately, Ambrose uh, fell on some hard times and he had to sell the property in 1837. And he sold the property to a gentleman named James Stokes. Uh, I bet he was super stoked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, lots I'm of, sorry, you can cut lots that. Lots of sorry. puns no, are that, yeah. coming sure my way. That like the puns. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Jameson's not here. So, okay. So, James Stokes, uh, he was a British soldier. He came to the Monterey Coast. Oh, I didn't even say where I'm from. I'm from Monterey, California. If you've ever read a book by John Steinbeck or had really good clam chowder or went well watching, you were probably in Monterey at some point. Or went so, to the aquarium, Monterey Bay Monterey Aquarium. Monterey Bay Aquarium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Monterey. which is famous. Yeah. For, uh, well, you don't otters. get the seafood at the aquarium. <laughs> That's just wrong. You you go next to the sea, the aquarium right. and the good yeah, It's just literally right next door. Yeah. That's that's actually that's kind of true. I've never really thought about. No, no, that. no. Yeah. They the they are like... AZA regulations. They're not allowed <laughs> to feed any animals that they don't exist. So so just saying that they. they well, you yeah. worked there. Exactly, worked there and that's it. And you, we make jokes. But again, ACA regulations, the Monterey Bay Aquarium would not ever, ever, ever serve an animal that was on exhibit to human consumption. That would never happen. They okay. Want, they want, they want <laughs> the fresh stuff from the Monterey. Yeah, yeah, yeah from, yeah. Well, no, like the, like chatter. on the wharf, like oh. that clam chowder is straight out of the bay. Oh, God. So. The freshest seafood, the best calamari, sea harvest. Oh, yeah. Shout out, to, it's not on Cannery Row. It's, it's about a couple blocks up. 
best calamari yeah. in your life. I went to uh, that's right. it I was went a, to school with Calder really and Walter, whose parents own Sea Harvest. Uh, give them my yeah. love because uh, when I was pregnant, that I I walked my pregnant booty oh, yeah. up to Sea Harvest and got the best calamari that I will ever eat in my entire life. If yeah. I was ever on death row, that might be my last meal. Yeah. Oh, is wow. Sea Harvest calamari. Yeah. Oh, it's that good. It oh, the best. We ate there. We ate there a couple times. Yeah. How we ate there. That's my mom. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Who knows when I'm going to die? Yeah. If I get on death row, it might be like, you know, I might not have a date. I might just be like, no, set a date right, so yeah. I can eat right. some of this if sea this harvest calamari. You know they don't do that anymore, though. They don't do the last meal thing anymore. That's messed up. Really? Yeah. It's way, it complicates things like a whole lot. Oh, you I know. can see if that somebody was, was like that a was jerk. The real yeah. for the be like, I want Kobe beef, but it must be a cow that has been killed yeah. in 2074. Yeah. Like, well, I guess we're going to have to wait. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Anyways, Anyways yeah. you've eaten at Sea Harvest. It's good. Shout out to <sighs> yes. the Diarly also, family. Also, that's really, there was a small place, uh, Bubba Gumps. I think it was one of those. I will slap <laughs> you silly. Don't die. <laughs> No, What's I, my mom's favorite place that to go the old uh, old fisherman's oh, old no. grass fisherman's grotto? Is it on the wharf? It's on the wharf. Yeah, on uh, then the I kind of have an idea of what you're talking about. I mean, all there's like six of them. Back I mean, and forth. if yeah, you're gonna go visit wharf, Monterey, really you can just go it. down the wharf with open hands, and someone will fill it. Yeah, It was. I I actually worked on a sailboat that was based on the wharf and as a pregnant woman that was fantastic like clam chowder clam chowder clam chowder clam oh it's great like they just give it to you it's oh yeah yeah i mean they basically force feed you they do they they like grab you and they pour their clam chowder down your throat every time though man like remember when we first went down there it was like well this guy gave me clam chowder we have to eat here i should see if there's any no once he's oh i'm sure there is especially that theater the, the War Theater. The I War did theater? the Mikado there, which they do every oh, year. Oh, that theater <laughs> has to be haunted. It yeah. has to be haunted. I mean, no personal experiences there. No, um, but, but um, it's, it's, oh, it's haunted. Super or Cannery nice. Row would be cool, too. Oh, Cannery Row. Oh, Monterey yeah. Bay Aquarium. So I grew up, like, five blocks it's from so Cannery good. Row to give reference to where I lived okay um but anyways back yes. to stokes adobe it was built in 1833 it was built by ambrose tomlin's money um and then it was sold in 1837 to a guy named james stokes who is what our story is about and that is why it is called stokes adobe so james stokes was a british soldier who jumped ship he abandoned his ship uh rumor has it he stole a medical bag from one of the passengers on one of the ships that he had uh, jumped off of and landed in Monterey. And that's smart. I mean, I guess if you're going to take anything, a medical bag. Well, let me get to that. Okay. So then he played himself off as a doctor Uh, when he got to Monterey. And he opens up a pharmacy. The blacksmith bag isn't too far away. That's a rumor. It's too heavy. Some of the stories said he was in a a doctor and a a druggist, I guess, which is a pharmacist at the time. A drug peddler. Yeah. That's what they are. Uh, Some said that he was legit. Some of them were like, no, he stole a medical bag. He was not legit. Um, A lot of his patients died. 
Um, then whether... maybe that goes on the side of he was not legit. Right. Yeah, or you know, to give him the benefit of the doubt, it was eighteen, you know, thirty three. So you yeah, know... it's the you got ghost in your blood. Do some cocaine. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna cut you open. We're gonna let the blood out, and then you'll be good. You know, mm-hmm. here's um, some morphine. Have fun. So many of his patients died. Uh, one of his patients died uh, in 1835, the ailing uh, governor of Alta, California, Governor Jose Figueroa, died in his care. Um, yeah. Uh, How many governors before somebody was like, excuse me, something wrong? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, at some point, uh, Stokes becomes the mayor of Monterey for like a <laughs> short time, but I'm sure they were like, this guy's got money. Uh, he marries uh, Maria Josefa Soto, uh, who was originally married to Gil Cano, a soldier in the Mexican army. Uh, and he had uh, four children with Maria. Uh, Gil Cano uh, died while in the care of Stokes. Um, and then he married, hmm. uh, married, Suspicious. yeah, married his wife within a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Maria Josefa Soto also had a land grant. She was the owner of Rancho Cape, a land grant of 10 square leagues along the west side of the Sacramento River, uh, where modern day Hamilton City and Monroeville is. That's I'm looking at you is. like I don't you know, know where that I don't is. Know. I'm not really no. sure where that is. For either. our listeners, they're looking at each other and like, having no idea. I don't know. <laughs> like once you get further to north, I'm like I have no idea. Sacramento <laughs> River. Nope. Yeah, doing research on this, I realized how little I paid attention to my own hometown growing up. So it's okay. Yeah, I was yeah, I was too much into my goth music. Um, and hauntings of other places. Yeah, not Monterey. Apparently. Um, All right, so he has 11 children with Maria. Oh, my God. So eventually he does have to build... uh, Yeah, she was, like, pregnant all the time. That's so... I hope she was one of those women that was like, I love being pregnant, and not me, where, like, I hate being pregnant. Yeah, well, yeah, I would hope so. She likes being pregnant we're gonna go with that yeah to make the story um, a little bit happy so of course he has to build a second floor to this structure of course uh he builds a second floor and he creates seven rooms on the second floor uh obviously for his 13 children that he has um is and... he starting like a league or some sort of sports know, league that's true. Yeah, that's like a football uh, so football in happens. 1855 maria dies i couldn't find much on her death well, but, um, after 11 children, like, that takes yeah. a toll on your body. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she was, I want to say she was only in she her just, 40s, yeah, but it's also the 1830s, so I'm not really surprised. Yeah. You know, to me, that's, like, for a second, I was like, that's pretty young. But then another second, I was like, 11 children in the 1830s. Yeah. And your husband is not really a doctor. Or a very <laughs> bad doctor. So, uh. It's not. So he gets granted her land. Of course. Uh, he has his own land grant as well. Oh. Um, so he has quite a bit of land. He's very well off. A few years later, her eldest son drowned at age 21. Maria's oldest son. You remember she had two where, sons. Where did he go good. swimming, though? Was it Monastery Beach? Oh, I don't know. Because if, if it was there, it'd be like, well, yeah. 
Sorry. Don't sure, Monastery Beach. Don't yeah. go diving there. Uh, mm-hmm. So, okay. Unless so, you know what you're doing. Anyways, on the evening of September 27th, 1864, James Stokes uh, was uh, alarming his family with his erratic behavior. They said he was drunk or partially insane. So his sons, Manuel and Domingo, stepped in to try to keep him from leaving the house. And they were able to keep him from leaving the house for two days. Because they're like, you're acting crazy. You're drunk. You're drinking excessively. We don't want you to leave. And, of course, James Stokes kept trying to, like, exit the premises. Uh, They said that he was in such a state of mental uh, debility from excessive indulgence in liquors. Which I wish that's how someone described me when I was like shit drunk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she just had an excessive indulgence in the Yeah, exactly. Uh, such a proper way to be like, she's I'm, a drunk. Right. <laughs> I'm so, going to take an intoxicated drive. I'll see you later. Uh, at six o'clock, while in the care of his sons, uh, while they weren't paying attention, James Stokes downed a lethal dose of strychnine and died within 15 minutes. Oh my God. Yeah. So he kills himself in the Adobe building, but also where many of his patients had died. So now, ghost battle. Yes. So now now they believe that this place is very haunted. Over the years, it ends up becoming uh, one of, or the place for the first ever newspaper of Monterey. They house it there, and it was also the first ever bakery. Which I should have. Interesting. Oh, no, do I not paper have the and a bakery in the same location? I guess. I mean. Yeah. I guess the space. Well, I like see not at the same time. Well, no, but that's. But nice. okay, so in so. <laughs> extra, extra. <laughs> We've got donuts today. Wait, all about it. Uh, there you go, Jameson. Nice. Pun. Nice. In 1856, Honor Eskel. That's this guy's name. Honor Eskel installs a large oven uh, used for his bakery business. So it's the first bakery of Monterey. He uses it as a kiln. Uh, He uses it to bake bread and make pottery. So the property goes through several owners until Mortimer Gregg purchases the home in 1890. He lives in the home with his wife, Harriet, who is known as Hattie. And the property has a bustling social scene until Hattie's death in 1948. Uh, in the 1950s, it is converted to a Gallatin restaurant by Mr. and Mrs. Gallatin Powers. Uh, and then, which closes in 1980, a few other restaurants come through until it is finally uh, opened as Restaurant 1833, <gasps> which I love yes. the name. Oh. Did Wait, you actually eat there? I never got to go. I never got to go there, but uh, when we were working in the reservations department, it was... No, I did get to go there. I did get to go to 1833. <laughs> it is so freaking... It was so freaking cool. We ate, like, I think, like, this wine cellar thing. Mm-hmm. I had a four-year-old at the time, so I remember not really being able to enjoy it because when you have a four-year-old, you... They really can only last in a formal setting for formal setting for a small amount of time. Anyways, yeah, it's, it's true. Four year olds they can't hold their liquor, and it, yeah. they can't. They were, and Alice was terrible <laughs> at holding our liquor. No, but it was just one of those things where it was just like, okay, I can be here for about twenty minutes, and then she's gonna want to 
be entertained. Anyways, it's beautiful location. Yes. Um, 1833. It was the kind of the high class restaurant. It's like yeah. a classy place, yeah. which is probably why my uh, punk little high school butt never ate there ever. My parents probably couldn't bring me in public there. No, I mean, I, I like it from like 14 to about 16. You can't take the kids in public. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should post on our Instagram a picture of me in high school just to give them an idea of why I was an embarrassment um, to my parents. <laughs> oh, good. Something to look forward to. Oh, yeah. Um, fun fact, though, uh, in, 19, in the 1950s when it was Gallatin's, uh, it hosted many uh, celebrities, including Frank Sinatra, Ooh. Dean Martin, Bob Hope, and many other celebrities of the 1950s. Excellent. So, so uh, it is current, currently up for sale, uh, but while it was a restaurant, there were many ghost stories and sightings uh, throughout the years. So they claim that they see James and Josefina allegedly still stalk the hallways. They claim they say that they've seen a man in 1800s clothing and a beautiful woman. Uh, uh, in the main room, there are repeats of feeling a tap on the shoulder, which I'll get to in a second with uh, another story. Uh, people who sit on the left side of the restaurant will complain that someone keeps trying to move their chair while they're sitting. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, a ghost in period costume is seen on the stairs. Clumps of fog are seen upstairs in what is known as Hattie's room. Remember when it was a bakery, Hattie died oh, in that room. So yes. clumps of fog. They're like, well, we are next to the ocean. Fog could get just trapped in that room. But I mean, I grew up right next to the ocean, probably as far from the ocean as this building is not, maybe not exactly, you know, as far, but there were never like clumps of Fog. I mean, doesn't in fog my... exist by the combination of water and cold air? Like, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't yeah, like the it? the moisture. Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't. Yeah, I don't see that. If you have the warm in, air, indoors. it creates mm -hmm. all the moisture, and then it cools off really I mean, quickly. Yeah, I guess the same way you like a shower. You know, like if you have a shower running, you know, and then this room's air conditioned. Oh yeah, then it would get yeah foggy. Before I get into my final little ghost story here, I do want to say that I got most of my information from uh, the Monterey Herald website, the Monterey Weekly website, a website called nohill.com, and a website called Haunted Honeymoon. <laughs> okay. Oh, and the restaurant that is your mother's favorite is Old Fisherman's Grotto. Old Fisherman's Grotto. What did I say? Old Fish House Grotto. Or Old Grotto. Yeah, it was something along the lines. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so this is a firsthand ghost sighting from one of the waiters that worked, uh, at one of the restaurants. I want to say it was 1833 when this was written. And this is from, uh, Haunted Honeymoon. It says, our waiter reported a few personal experience that he has had on the property. He had been trapped on the shoulder and or he had been tapped, sorry, he had trapped on the shoulder. He had been tapped on the shoulder and heard his name. One night after closing, he heard a woman's voice say, excuse me, can you help me? He went to the front of the restaurant, but there was no one there. He and a female coworker heard the voice a second time. This time she went, but also did not see anyone. Uh, 
they heard the voice a third time and they both went to check out again and there was no one there. Bum, bum, bum. That is creepy. And that is what I have on Stokes Adobe. So short and sweet tonight. Usually I have, usually I take up the majority, but uh, your story was so good though. Uh, My my murder. Tough to follow. Um, I I probably do have a more ghost story ish, but I I just don't have as much information, mm-hmm. obviously, than a murder that has documentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, most of like my ghost experiences are after I've left my hometown. Like, <laughs> I mean, I have like I keep alluding to like that I have some from the Queen Mary. We'll get to our Queen Mary episode mm-hmm. for our listeners eventually. I've um, said that. Well, so I did work times. at the historic Santa Maria Inn as a night audit. So oh, I was wow. there from, was it 11 to 7? I think it was 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. And it would just be me and the security guard. And there have been some ghost stories uh, told there. I, I think I need to do more research before mm-hmm. I talk about that. But I can. I can come back and talk yeah, about we'll that. Yeah, we'll have you on again. And a couple Definitely. experiences that I myself witnessed that were pretty creepy and again this is happening because i i'm up at like one or two three a.m and, oh. and it's just me and one other security guard so some pretty interesting ha- some pretty interesting things happened in the middle of the night there mm-hmm. yeah well yeah, yeah come back yeah. we'd love to hear it yeah totally it, when i worked at the monterey bay plaza and you'll probably just just edit this uh i once asked a supervisor i'm like oh have you guys heard of any like are there any ghosts or anything mm-hmm. here and they're like no. Oh, and I was like, wow. oh, so mm-hmm. I, but again, I never heard any instances. I, we never talked about mm-hmm. it. So I don't know if it was just one of those things that because it's considered such a high end establishment that they don't even want to put it out there. Yeah. Um, but I don't, from what I experienced, I never got any feedback. We're at the San Maria Inn. I was getting feedback from the guest about things that were happening. So mm-hmm. that's crazy. Really? Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for joining yeah, us. Thank you yeah. for having yeah, me. Yeah, we're this was really fun. Yeah, yes. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. Outro. All right. Hollywood's Haunted the Podcast is the collective work of the owners and employees of Hollywood's Haunted Tours. It is available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Link, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ooh. Subscribe, like, and share because sharing is scary. It's For more scary. information on Hollywood's Haunted, visit our website at www.hollywoodshaunted.com. Peace out, y'all. Yeah. Woo.